Well, today we're going to be looking at taming the tongue. And we're not looking at it so much in the physical sense, kind of doing tongue stretches and exercises, don't worry. Instead, we're looking at how we speak and the words we say. And the average person spends one-fifth of their life speaking. Obviously, some of you, it's probably a higher amount. I'm not going to point out any people I would imagine. But it's even easier now than ever to speak and to communicate. We've got things like WhatsApp, things like FaceTime or uh, Facebook Messenger or email, whatever it is you like to use. There's so many options. You can instantly, my brother just before came here, text me from the other side of America. There's so many ways that we can communicate with one another. And so what we say is becoming even more significant in our lives. And so it's a big part of life, and that's why uh, we want to address it as a church, and it's great that James does that. So we're going to be reading from James chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles with you, and if not, the words will come up on the screen. So James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Let's just stop there for one second. I wouldn't be a great teacher if I just skipped that one and pretended it wasn't there. What a verse to stop, start on. I think for a lot of us, and I used to very much be this way, we can glamorize influence. Or we can glamorize power or position or platform. And we think, oh, I just, I love if people could hear my voice more. I love if, I love if I had opportunities to lead in the workplace or to lead more in church or to preach or to teach. And we think, wouldn't it be amazing if I had that? And I used to be that way. Yet James is trying to say to us, feel the weight that comes with having a voice. See, when you have a larger audience, when you have the platform and the position and the power with a greater audience comes a greater opportunity, a greater influence, a greater uh, potential for damage. So if you mess up and you've only got a couple people listening to you, hey, yeah, maybe you're going to hurt a few. But when you've got that position and platform, the potential for damage is far greater. And sadly, many of us, some of us here today, have been in churches where teachers, because of their life or their teaching, have taken people astray and caused massive damage. And James is saying to us, feel that weight. Take your life seriously, your character seriously, your walk with God seriously. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The first thing to point out in these verses is that James says we all struggle with sin in many areas of our lives. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. And it's key to, to point out that James says we all. He's not saying, oh, some of us do. He's saying all of us struggle. 
And so if you're thinking today, well, you know, I don't really struggle with sin or with how I use my voice and my words, then he's saying, you're lying to yourself. And I also think it's worth pointing out that he says, we all stumble, not you all stumble. He said it's important for us to be honest about our own issues. He could have just said, you know, I'm a leader now. I kind of, I'm writing uh, and influencing huge amounts of people. I've kind of dealt with this. He could say, you all stumble. But he says, no, we all stumble. And he includes himself in it, showing to us that as Christians, we need to be honest and open about our own issues. Second, he moves on to his main message, which is this. Your words are powerful. Your words are powerful. Your words matter. And I think we can downplay the importance of words in our culture. We can say, oh, you know, it wasn't a big thing. It was just a Facebook comment or a text or uh, just a joke. We've been programmed to say, words, you know, are kind of secondary. What's the phrase we say? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we know, and James is confirming, that that is absolute rubbish. Absolute rubbish. We all know that words can hurt us, and all of us have been hurt by words, and equally helped by words. The author Edward Bulwer-Lytton once said, the pen is mightier than the sword. That means our words, whether they're spoken or written or texted or tweeted, all have power and influence. And James is trying to give us all these images. It's almost like, I don't know if you've ever done creative writing at school. It's, it's almost like he's trying all these pictures to just get our minds into the place of realizing how significant our words are. So he starts off with a picture of a horse. And he's like, picture a horse. He's big and strong and powerful animals capable of carrying far greater weights than human beings. Yet put a little tiny bit in its mouth and you can control and direct it. Well, he says, look at the, the ships. Look at a massive, mighty, powerful, impressive ship. But a small little rudder can change the whole course of that massive ship. It can direct it in one way or another. It can send it towards the rocks. And what James is trying to impress us with, he's saying some of us have families and jobs, relationships, Things that, if we don't sort out our tongues, if we don't get under control our words, then we risk shipwrecking our lives. Let's move on. Verse 5b, halfway through the verse. (laughs) How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. Staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Again, he's using vivid images to show us just how significant the tongue is. And he's saying, this time, the tongue is a bit like uh, a small fire that can lead to a far greater fire that can lead to huge, huge destruction. One word, one sentence can have massive effects. And it's a bit like, in 2007, there was um, a huge forest fire in California. And this fire destroyed 21 homes, 22 other buildings, and burnt 38,000 acres of forest. And so this obviously caused huge devastation, and so they did a big investigation into how it happened. They thought, how could so much be destroyed? 
And they managed to track it back to um, a small town in northern Los Angeles County. And they, they managed to track it down even further to one house in this town. And then as they did further investigation, they discovered that the perpetrator of this huge fire, 38,000 acres destroyed, was a 10-year-old boy with a box of matches. One match caused untold damage. And James is saying, your words can do just the same. We see it all the time. I saw it this week on a WhatsApp conversation. I don't know if you're a WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger person and you're in a group thread or everyone, you know, normally it's just like dumb pictures of cats and stuff like that and people texting around things and I was in a group thread and everyone's just chatting and then all of a sudden one person says one sentence and everything kicks off and people are angry and people are saying dumb stuff and people are saying hurtful things they'll never be able to take back. Genuinely, I'm pretty sure there's some relationships that will never be able to be the same because of that one comment. Untold damage. And we see it all the time, whether it's on WhatsApp or on face-to-face. Our words have power. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What this says is your tongue is capable of both blessing and cursing. In Proverbs 8.21, it says, There is life and death. In the power of the tongue. Life and death. Big words. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. James is saying, many of us live these strange, inconsistent lives where our words are contradicting each other. It's almost like an image of there's a hurting person and you're trying to patch them up on one side but you're punching them, giving them blows on the other. It's a ridiculous image. Why, why would you be trying to help someone and then hurting them at the same time? But James is reminding us that we can often worship God, yet treat people who are made in his image. It says in Genesis, we're made in the image of God in a terrible way. It's kind of like, you know, when we come to church and we, you know, we're in worship, we say, oh, I love you, God. I lift my voice and we're singing him. You're amazing, Lord. You're so good. Oh, I love you. Thank you for giving me. I love you. I love you. I love you. And then you go into the car park, get in your car, driving home. Another driver or your wife, your kids annoy you and you scream at them. And James is saying, how, how can that be? How, how can you be worshipping God, but then his creation, someone in his likeness, his children, you're shouting at them. 
It's kind of like, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you. It's like, be consistent in how you speak. James is saying, these things ought not to, not to be so. As children of God, we should be using our tongues for blessing and not for cursing. He says, look at your words. Take them seriously. They reflect your life. They reflect your faith. And they truly reflect what you believe. Words can curse. They can crash ships and they can start fires. So just to get a bit real, let's get a bit practical with this. That's the kind of, I guess, the the theology, the introduction. But what are some ways in which we can use our words to to curse, to hurt? Well, let's look at some some real-life scenarios. I'm going to list out a few kind of caricatures, some um, different examples. And I just encourage you, be honest about yourself and see if you recognize yourself in any of these. First of all, the gossip. Say things like, you're chatting to your, your colleague about someone else and you say... I can't believe she did that again. You speak harshly about someone behind their back, and in doing so, like fire to their reputation. Secondly, the the argument winner. You're the person who you'll say to people, oh, I, I always win arguments. But the truth is, you don't. Because you're not always right. And so what you're doing is you're putting other people down, suppressing them and revealing that you've got a closed mind and a closed heart. Next up, the my story's better person. This is the person who you just come back from holiday, get out your phone, you're showing them the holiday snaps and your pictures. You're like, oh, check check out the hotel we stayed in. And no sooner have you shown them the photo, what do they say? Oh, you should have seen the hotel we stayed in in Cuba. Oh, yeah, no, that didn't just have one pool. We had seven pools in our hotel, and one of them had a floating bar in the middle. Oh, you should have seen it. So good. But the problem is people are never able to celebrate with you. Because as soon as they're sharing their story, you're straight in there with your more impressive story. And so they're never able to build that relationship with you as you're always trying to be more impressive. Next up, the guilt tripper. Say things like, fine, I I guess I'll have to go on my own then. And you play the victim and try and manipulate people with your words. What about the, just my opinion, person. I think you're an absolute idiot. So why why are you getting annoyed? I'm I'm just expressing my opinion. Everyone's entitled to an opinion. Or you might say it along the lines of, look, I know that I can say rash and and harsh things, but that's just, it's kind of my personality. I'm, I'm someone who, I wear my heart on my sleeve. No, that's not your personality. It's not you wearing your heart in your sleeve. It's that you don't have good self-control. Next, it's the tone changer. You're the person who takes a normal conversation, and in some magical second, you raise your voice, and all of a sudden, what was just a conversation has become an argument. There never needed to be an argument. Because you've raised your voice, you've changed your tone, all of a sudden, oh man, I could, I could give some examples, but I won't. All of a sudden, 
you've turned a conversation into an argument and you've lit a fire that never, ever needed to be there. Next, the you always person. This is the person who brings up the past. You say, you always do, you always, and you make these sweeping statements, make these generalizations which are about as effective at dealing with conflict as putting out a fire by pouring petrol on it. Next, the snapper. This is the defensive person who whenever someone says something you don't like, you're instantly barking back with your reaction. Never taking a second to think, hmm, maybe they could be right and I could be wrong. Maybe you're on Facebook and you see that post or that comment you definitely disagree with. And you're instantly tapping away. Oh, no, I can't believe this. No, no, no. You type it out and you click that send button. Not thinking, hmm, is Facebook the best place for me to be getting into a public argument? Next up, the sarcastic person. <laughs> Sarcasm. That wonderful British pastime. Oscar Wilde once said, sarcasm is the highest form no, he didn't. He says it's the lowest form of wit, but the highest form of intelligence. <laughs> Sarcasm in itself isn't bad. It can be used to make people laugh. It can be used to make a genuine point. In fact, James, the author of this book, uses sarcasm in some of his writing. But sarcasm can be used to harm. And what we often do, and I, I've been far too guilty of this, is we'll make a joke about something we really wanted to say, but we masquerade as, ha ha, just being funny. And actually we're making a cutting remark about someone and kind of just too cowardice to actually say it. Next, the silent person. So it's not just what you say, it's what you don't say. And for many of us, we've held back Words of encouragement that we really should have shared. We starve people of the kindness that they really need. And I've lost track, if I'm being honest, with the number of conversations I've now had with people, the number of times grown men and women have talked about the damage, the lasting damage that's been caused to them by having a mother or father who never said, I love you. Lost track. Lost track of the number of people who've said that. And so many of us hold back encouragement. We never bother to take the time to say what needs to be said. Or we'll make excuses like, well, I would like to say something, but I wouldn't want them to get big-headed. And that's a terrible excuse. Because someone else's response to our encouragement isn't our responsibility. What they do with our encouragement is between them and God. Our responsibility is to just keep encouraging anyway. Which of those examples do you see in yourself? Which of those do you see in yourself? James says our tongues can either be used to curse or to bless. Can you imagine what welling would be like if this was a church where we used our tongues 
just to bless. Where we spoke words of life to one another. Can you imagine what our relationships, our marriages, our families would look like if we only used our tongues to bless? In 1 Thessalonians 5.11 it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. That's what happens when we encourage, we build one another up. In Romans 12.10 it says, Outdo one another in showing honour. I love that. Just this, this notion of it's almost like, almost get competitive with it. Like be thinking, of how, how can I best bless that person? How can I best encourage them? What are some ways? I mean, I, I kind of I sent them a text this week. Like maybe I can send them a card or a gift this week. I, let, let me just think of more ways that I can bless and bless and encourage and speak kindness and build people up. Outdo one another in showing honor. What would that culture look like? Well, it'd be a culture that would amaze the world. Jesus says this in John 13, 35. This is how they will know that you are mine, that you love one another. That's how we're going to reach this hurting world. That's how we're going to reach this broken city who's crying out for answers and for love and for peace. That's how we're going to send a message if we love one another. Some of the best moments I've had since joining this church about a year, uh, a year and a half ago were some of the encouraging things that people have said to me, including people in this room. Things like the, the email that I received, people saying, you know, thank you for that event you ran, that was great. Or um, the card saying, it's just been great getting to know you since you joined the church. Or the, the person who came up to me one Sunday and put their arms around me and say, John, I love how you always hang out with us oldies. But the text from someone that says, I know what's going on in your life at the moment. I know what you're struggling with, with your loss. And I just want you to know I'm, I'm praying for you. Those are the words that build us up. They put steel in your spine. And all of us need those words. See, some of us can kind of put up this, you know, strong facade. Oh, you know, I'm not, I don't really need people to give me those words. Rubbish. We all need encouragement from one another and probably far more than we realize. When we speak those words of life, it builds relationship. It builds the church. It builds a bond. There's a connection, a closeness that comes when we speak words of life to one another. Let's be a church that encourages Let's be a church that builds one another up. One of the best ways to bless and encourage, listen. Listen. Don't speak. James 1.19 says, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Wow. <laughs> well, hmm. very, very powerful idea, but sadly, very, very rare. I think we live in a world that has forgotten how to listen. We love having our voice heard. We love having someone hear our opinion. When someone says something, it's straight away with, well, here's what you should do, or here's my story, here's bang, 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 bang. James says, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Ask questions. Jesus did it all the time. Rather than, oh, here's my statement, he said, okay, what about this? When you listen and ask questions, it's one of the most effective ways of building relationship and building community. And the Bible says this is all an issue of the heart. And what you say reveals a lot, a lot in fact, more than we realize about what's going on inside. 
In probably the most important verse on this whole topic, in Luke 6.45, Jesus said, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or in another translation, it says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Your mouth speaks what your heart is full of. I remember a scene from a, a cartoon I was watching when I was a kid. Uh, and in it, there was this bear, and it's just flailing around aggressively and, and chucking its claws around. These villagers are there with pitchforks and spears, and they're trying to tame and, and bring down and put down this bear in whatever way they can to stop it. And then all of a sudden, this, this little girl comes onto the scene, and um, she sees what's actually wrong. And she gets closer and closer, trying not to disturb the bear, and he doesn't see her coming, and she gets up close enough to his foot. And she pulls out a little piece of wood that had been lodged between his toes. She pulls it out. Instantly, the pain subsides. And the bear starts, stops thrashing around. And that's kind of like how we deal with this issue. Because for many of us, maybe when you heard the, the list of the different caricatures of you know, the snapper, the gospel, I was thinking, okay, how can I change my words? How can I change this? And we're focusing on the words where... What the Bible is saying, what Jesus is saying is, you need to look to your heart. Because many of us, the problem is not our words, it's we've got a splinter in our heart. Not too long ago, I was, uh, I was trying to help someone pack down for an event. And uh, they just kept shouting over comments about how I wasn't doing things right, and how, you know, do this, try that. And eventually, I just snapped. And I, uh, and I, I grunted back, and he said... Uh, just tell me what you want me to do then. And I was pretty shocked, to be honest, because I couldn't remember the last time I'd had an outburst like that. And uh, I apologized. I was really sorry. I yeah, apologized to the person. And, and I, I remember saying, what? I, I don't really understand it because I, I think it, it must have been... Um, I've had a very busy week and uh, I'm tired. and I just, Because... That wasn't me. That wasn't me. But the truth? That was me. That was me. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, I've just got quite good at hiding a lot of stuff or ignoring or maybe I've dealt with a lot of things but I just haven't seen some of the deeper and darker parts of my heart and maybe in God's grace he's wanted to show me I've still got a long way to go and so if you're your son who snaps shouts screams starts arguments it's not your busy week it's not the hot weather that's making you more stressed it's not your tiredness that's causing it it's an issue with your heart. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, hurt people hurt people. The pastor and author Rick Warren says this. Hurt people hurt people. Healthy people don't hurt people. Holy people don't hurt other people. Happy people don't hurt other people. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about marriage or the marketplace or the Middle East. When people are hurting, they lash out at others. If you're fighting to maintain an image or to protect yourself or fighting to maintain control 
Or if you've got bitterness or unforgiveness or pain from the past that you're not willing to deal with, you can try all you want to keep bottling it up and suppressing it and keeping it down. But eventually, it's going to overflow. Out of your heart, your mouth will speak and it's going to get messy. You're going to be constantly trying to win arguments. You're not going to be able to celebrate with people who got that thing you wanted. You're going to snap. You're going to bite back. You're going to gossip. The only way to have a healthy tongue is to have a healthy heart. We need to know who we are. You need to know what your identity is based in. See, if your identity is based in your success or the size of your house, or how good your car is, or your appearance, or your age, or any temporary things, whether it's your intellect, or your standing in society, then what you're going to do is you're always going to put yourself in the pecking order somewhere. You say, here's kind of where I fit. And so there's always going to be people who have less than you, who you're proud that you have more than. And there's always going to be people who have more than you, who you're going to be jealous of. And God's saying... Don't base your life on these temporary things. Don't find your identity in what you have or, or you know, kind of how your job or any of that stuff, your relationship status. God's saying, base your identity in who I have made you to be. He's saying, I have given you a unique purpose, unique gifting. I have a unique plan for your life. I have made you for such a time as this. You're no worse than anyone. You're no better than anyone. You are my child. And when we believe that God really is working all things for good, then we can trust him. We can be comfortable when that person, they got the opportunity we wanted. When we're in an argument and we've realized partway through we were wrong, we don't have to spend the rest of it thinking, how do I somehow win this still? We say, yeah, I was wrong. Because we're no longer trying to prove ourselves or earn a position because we know who we are. We're children of God. And this isn't an easy task. In fact, James doesn't say it's hard. He says in verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It's encouraging. Thanks, James. Might as well all go home. (laughs) The truth is no human being can tame the tongue. It's impossible to tame your tongue in your own human strength. But when we look to Jesus, when we look to Jesus, our hearts are transformed. When we look at the cross, it changes everything. Our every word, our every deed, our every thought, every aspect of life is changed. And when we look again at the words of Jesus... On that day that he went to the cross, we see so much. We see that when he was falsely accused, rather than defend himself and use his words to prove how he didn't deserve any of this, what did he do? He said nothing so that he'd be found guilty and face the punishment of death so that you and I never needed to face punishment or death. And as they crucified him, I mean, imagine this. He looked at his executioners and said, Father, forgive them. So that we could know that no one is outside 
the possibility of God's love and forgiveness. As he hung there dying, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I could know that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And with his dying breath and last ounce of strength, he said, It is finished. So that we could know that everything that needed to be said and done has been said and done. This is Jesus. This is the one who takes us from death to life. From darkness to light. The one who bore the curse so that you and I could be blessed. This is Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. So what's our response? For some... There's a person you need to go away from today and encourage. Someone you've held back from saying something that you know you should have. Perhaps it would involve just sending an encouraging text to someone. Or writing a card to someone who got something you actually really wanted and didn't. Just saying congratulations, mate. I'm really happy for you. For some, for some parents here, you need to go in and tell your kids you love them. For others, you've felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, a nudge from God. Maybe it's when I was reading those list of different examples, and God's given you a little nudge on something. He's brought some things to mind about some things you've said or things you're actually saying over some people that you know are wrong. And it's so good that God gives us those sometimes quite painful nudges, that he chisels us, that he shapes and molds us. Because God says, come as you are, which is amazing. You don't have to sort your life out for God to love you. But he's so gracious, he's so kind that he doesn't just leave us in our mess. He says, you know, I've got something so much better for you. And so if he's given you that nudge, if he's been giving you that prod today, then we've got two things that we need to do. The Bible says we repent and confess. We repent to God. So God, I, I acknowledge that I've said, said wrong. I've, 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 I shouldn't have said that. Maybe just specific examples, repenting them to God. And then confess to one another. See, it's easy often saying in a little prayer time after church, I'm sorry, God. But for some of us, we need to go away and say sorry. Ask for forgiveness. Say, I, I've said things, or actually I've been saying things which I shouldn't have. Please forgive me. And when we do that, it brings us freedom. It brings us release. God says, if you confess your sins, I'll be faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from any unrighteousness. For many of us, it's time to get a bit honest about some of our issues, maybe anger issues, maybe words that we know we're using to cut people far too regularly. And we may need some extra help. And as a church, we really believe in coming alongside one another and supporting each other into what God has for us. And so for some... It might be you just need to speak to your community leader or an elder or Joe or someone in the church say, you know what, I need some help. I need to deal with this issue. You might want to sign up for the Freed for Purpose course, which many of us have done. You might say, oh, John, that feels a bit kind of, you know, a big step to make. Can't we just do the quick prayer after church thing? But actually for some of us, our lives are that ship that could be on course for shipwreck, but the help of God and the help of one another, he can bring us back on course 
And so whatever steps we need to take are worth doing. The great news is you can change. You can change. Your tongue can be tamed. Your heart can be warmed. Why? Because it's Jesus who is doing it in you and through you. It's through his power, the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you, the one who raised Jesus from the dead. And so it's possible. We can change by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we want to be, first of all, God, we just thank you for your words of life. God, that you have given us so much, God, that you say, I love you, I forgive you. God, you speak so much truth over us, and we want to be people who who show your love, your truth to this hurting world. God, as we reflect on all that's going on in our nation, will we be people who speak words of life, words of love, words of healing, God? And God, where we haven't used our words to bless, God, we just want to say we repent. God, we we soberly and somberly come before you now and say we we realize our words do have power. They're not meaningless. And we're sorry for the times we haven't used them to bless. In fact, we've used them to curse, Lord. But God, we thank you that you are the forgiver. You're the one who redeems and you make us whole. God, we just ask, would you come and restore relationships? Would you restore wherever there's been brokenness, division, and distance, God? You're the... Yeah, you're the wonderful counselor, God, the prince of peace. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we thank you for all of these things being possible because of your death, your resurrection, and your power at work within us through the Holy Spirit. And we just want to say we love you. We love you, Lord. And we love this family that you've given us, the church. Thank you, Lord. Help us to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.